0: Gather, come gather, friends, close by the fire, and hear of a wondrous tale. Of goblins and elves and miscoated dells, and heroes who strive to prevail. To the north of Bileth, in a cave in the woods, there was a teetering pile of rocks, and from under those stones rose up agonized moans, as young Ali awoke and took stock. You're listening to Aliads and the Aliad Squad, by Leona Cara. Chapter 11 of Broken Things What the? My arm? Is it? Is it still on fire? Sure feels like it is. What is this This thing on top of me? A horse? Several horses? Several horses and a donkey? Oh, oh, oh. My chest. It's hard to breathe. Hard to get a full breath. Oh, oh my gosh. Oh, everything hurts. Oh my head. Oh my head. What happened? What? Rocks fire. Trap. Joe and Graham? (sighs) Joe and Graham. There I laid, face down in the dirt beneath a pile of rocks. It was dark. Even for being a cave, it was dark. Was I blind? Was it night time? Was it blind and it was night time? Ow! At least I didn't seem to be dead. Death wouldn't have heard this much. Ugh. I tried to shift around so I could sit up but only my head, shoulders, and left arm were free of the rocks that had fallen from Joe and Graham's devious trap. Joe and Graham. Those cunning, jerk-faced, good-for-nothing wastrels. I tried to let loose a torrent of foul-blooded curses, but my thoughts were all swirly-whirly. I saw sparkly dots like raindrops pinging against a pond, and for what could have been a second or an hour, my thoughts went blank. Nothing more than a seething wind floating through the hollow of my skull. When I returned to myself, I felt a bit clearer, and eventually managed to note several facts about my situation. One, I was stuck beneath a pile of rocks in Joe and Graham's hideout. Two, my chest felt broken, my right arm felt like it was broken and on fire, and everything else felt as if it had been pounded with an iron mallet. Three, if I couldn't see anything in the cave at all then it must be nighttime, meaning I had been unconscious for several hours. Fourth, this cave was so far away from the road that if anyone happened upon it, let alone in the middle of the night, they were most likely someone I did not want to meet, which meant number five. No one would be coming to help me. Fun. Very fun. Great facts. Super facts, really. (sighs) And on top of it all, Ugh, my nose itched Ugh. Uh, i tried to shift my left arm to scratch it and thankfully i was able to do so with only a lot of pain i then attempted to prop myself up first i lifted my head which immediately made me feel dizzy then brought my left arm down so that it tucked beside my chest and then i pushed up sweet maple syrup my ribs oh my ribs screamed like banshees i collapsed back into the dirt Oh shoot. Oh shooty, shoot, shoot. What what if I couldn't get out of here? What if this was it? What if this is how I died? No, no, no. no. What about Granbauer? Trinia? What if Joe and Graham return someday to find a skeleton beneath their pile of rocks? Oh my gosh. 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 Ah! As my panic rose, a blistering pain shot through my head, as if there was a blinding light burning in the center of my skull. Ah! I started crying. Tears flowed like streams, like rivers, like seas. The pain! The pain! I was drowning in fear and pain. Ow! 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 Okay, okay, calm down, calm down. Jelly brain, calm down. You can figure this out. Arm on fire, calm down. When my breath and brain finally settled, I tried to reach behind me with my free arm. My hand found a kettle-sized stone on the pile, and I pushed against it with all the strength I could manage. It didn't budge, but a few smaller stones clattered down the pile and onto the dirt. I reached again and tugged at a different rock. Several more stones bounced away, but overall the pile was still solidly on top of me. Okay, so that wasn't going to work. I tried to prop myself up again, and this time I managed to stay up on my elbow. Oh, it still hurt like heck! But I stayed up. This allowed me to shuck off the rocks that buried my right arm, but when I shifted the arm to bring it beneath me, it felt like the sound of cracking ice. One might say, Owie! I reached for it with my other arm and felt that my right hand was distinctly not where it should have been in relation to my elbow. The skin was tender to the touch and stung like a thousand bee stings, burned and broken. Magic. Somehow, Joe and Graham had used magic. But how? I'd never seen magic before, never even known anyone who had. The storybooks never said it looked like little kid drawings on a wall. No matter how hard I tried, I couldn't get my fingers to flex, and I couldn't tell if it was because of the burns or the break. The whole hand was unresponsive. But it would be the least of my problems if I wasn't able to get out from underneath these rocks. I alternated between digging at the rocks behind me with my left hand, shifting around my thankfully unbroken legs to loosen more rocks, and clawing my way forward with my one good arm. Dig. Shift. Crawl. Dig. Shift. Ugh, crawl. My whole body dripped with sweat from the pain and exertion. It was a soggy, dirty struggle. At one point, my backpack got stuck when a pointy rock snagged the strap. That was frustrating. I had to shimmy to the side in order to free it, and I feared the rocks would shear through the leather. But what was a busted backpack compared to death? I struggled on. Dig. Shift. Crawl. Dig. Shift. Crawl. Dig. Shift. Ah! Crawl. Ah! 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 My head throbbed as if there was a bellows pumping up my brain. Drill dribbled from my screaming mouth, and several times I collapsed, despairing, defeated, and ready for death. But I kept going. I kept digging. I kept shifting. I kept crawling. I cried the whole time, and I am not ashamed of it. I really did not want to die. I dragged myself out from beneath the rocks inch by wretched inch, until finally I was free. Ah! No one should ever have to feel so much pain. No one. Ever. Never, ever, never. I laid there in the dirt for an untold amount of time, and then I saw water. A huge, roiling, undulating swath of deep blue water. Water so big it could have swallowed the sky. The ocean? I'd never seen the ocean before. But this must have been it. What else could be so big? So magnificent? The sun sank low in the west, pouring a trail of golden light atop the rippling sea, a glistening footpath leading out to the golden islands beyond. It was so beautiful. I wanted to follow it, to tread the path before my feet and walk west of west, beyond the world and into the radiant sun. And then I woke, in darkness. (sighs) Slow as sap, I crawled until I found the table at the mouth of the chamber, then used it to clamber to my feet. My legs were weary, but stable, and after a moment I was able to keep my balance without holding onto the table. I reached out for the stone wall and moved step by tender step along the tunnel, guiding myself by fingertip until there was no more tunnel to trace. I skirted around the massive boulder shielding the entrance to the cave, and took a seat, oh so gingerly, on one of the stones beneath the cliff. (sighs) I made it. Moonsilver lit the stones and tree trunks surrounding the campground, and the night-blue sky was patched with milky gray by trailing clouds. With all this light, I was finally able to take a look at my injuries. My arm! My arm was bloody and blistered from the elbow down, and it had a disturbing bend above the wrist that made me suddenly nauseous. Oh no, no, I, I wouldn't be able to sword train! My legs were bruised and cut in several places, my left eye was swollen, and when I ran my good hand along my head, I found a notable bump and crusted blood on the back. Uh-oh, a head injury. I remembered the time when Farmer Mordain's son Benny got kicked in the head by an unruly gilding. I was in Bertram's cottage for a reading lesson when Benny's parents brought him in, frantic and crying, begging Bertram to help. He was still conscious at that point, though I could see the indent of the horse's iron shoe where it had struck Benny in the temple. Bertram asked him, ''Where do you live?'' But Benny could barely get out a mumble. Bertram checked Benny's eyes, and one of his pupils was wide, 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 though the other one looked normal. ''What is your name?'' Again, Benny didn't answer. He stared at Bertram, at his mother, at the thatched ceiling, at his father, and then slowly. Benny's eyes drifted off into a place the rest of us could not see. I didn't want to die like Benny did, so I started blathering out loud. My name is Allie Odds. Yes? That sounded normal. Good. Uh, blah, 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 blah. I'm alive. I'm alive? Yes. Yes, I think so. Okay. Well, that's a good sign. I couldn't see my own pupils, of course, but my memory seemed fairly clear, and my thoughts overall made sense and could be articulated. I was concussed, certainly, but nothing worse, I hoped. I sure was tired, though, and dizzy, and aching, and tired. Did I mention I was tired? I thought about lying down in the moonlit glade and sleeping there until the sun came up, but I needed to find help. Bertram had taught me that urgent response could make all the difference in the healing process, and I would not be able to tend these wounds on my own. So, as enticing as the thick patch of moss beside me appeared, I forced myself to stand ugh, and walk. Harrow was due north. I hoped. At the very least, I would hit the road, and, well, then maybe help would find me. And hopefully that help wouldn't be inept guards like the first time Joe and Graham's shenanigans had caused me to struggle out of the woods. At first, walking without the support of the cave wall was almost as difficult as pulling myself out from beneath the rocks, but after a grueling bend to pick up a walking stick, my steps grew hobblingly rhythmic, and the pain plateaued into a consistent, ow. Uh... The waxing moon guided me north its pale light a brilliant beacon pulling me onward. It was so beautiful, that moon. So bright, so big. It didn't even have to try. All it had to do was hang there, being its big old beautiful self. When everything else in the world was dark, it gave me hope. I couldn't have sung if I wanted to, but in my mind a song came to my unmoving lips. Moon, you are a sign of the ever-changing times. Moon, you are the light waxing and waning. Moon, you are a sign of the ever-changing times. Moon, you are the light waxing and waning. I love to see you in the daytime, following me on my way. I love to see you in the nighttime. Moon, you have a beautiful face. Moon, you have a beautiful face. It played in my mind like a chant, pacing my steps and keeping my thoughts off the bewildering pain in every part of my body. In fact, I don't remember anything else from that night. Just the moon. All else was darkness. bread fresh bread what uh, ah oh my head ah oh, my arm ah oh, my me i opened my eyes slowly they felt gritty and heavy like mice were sitting on top of my eyelids the first thing i saw was a thatched roof and for a moment i thought i was home in fribbleshire but no the thatch here was thick and dry Nothing like our soggy ceiling back home. It angled up towards a hardy beam above a wooden door. Definitely not home. There were plastered walls, and two sconces mounted astride the door with unlit candles, and bright light was streaming in, though I couldn't see from where. I tried to lift my head so I could examine the room, but the motion made my skull feel like a cauldron filled with boiling soup, and I let it drop. Onto a pillow. A very soft, very comfy feather pillow on a very soft, very comfy straw-tick bed. I must have been at an inn. Did I walk there? I honestly couldn't remember. (gasps) Oh, my my pack! My dagger! The maps and my money and all my gear! Where were they? I dared another effort to get out of bed, and this time, using my one good arm, I was able to lift my head with less revolt and shifted myself into a sitting position. Sitting atop a small bench by the door were my various possessions and my old clothes, which were covered in dried blood, dust, and dirt. I looked down at my chest, half expecting it to be bare, and saw that I was wearing a clean linen nightgown. It was a little loose, but compared to the state of my other garments, it was a notable improvement. My broken right arm was wrapped in heavy cloth, and there were several pieces of wood running along the length of it to prevent any movement. The bend above my wrist was gone, thank goodness, and when I tried to wiggle my fingers, they responded. Weakly, but hey, response was response. There was some sort of paste covering the burnt skin along my arm. It offered the same intense cooling sensation as a pantheri root Trenia shared weeks before. Hmm. If I was in Harrodelf, which I more than suspected I was, then there was a chance Trenia herself had been the one to trade these herbs to the local healer. How about that? I reached up to check the bump on the back of my head, and found there was a bandage of cloth wrapped around my noggin. Hm. Huh. Whoever had been tending me had been tending me well. A chair sitting beside the bed further attested to this, and I wondered who I had to thank for saving me. I waited a few moments to see if my tender would return. I heard voices coming from below, but no footsteps in the hall outside. My stomach grumbled. Really grumbled. (laughs) Oh, that bread smelled good. I must have been asleep for a while to be this hungry. After a few more minutes of waiting and seeing no one, I figured I should get out of bed and find some answers. Or, at the very least, that bread... But just as I lifted the sheets and swung, well, slumped my right leg off the side of the bed, I heard footsteps in the hall. The door opened, and a young man with wiry black hair entered the room with a wooden tray. His eyes went wide when he saw my wide eyes, and a gigantic grin spread across his face. Blessed moon, you're awake. The man poked his head back out into the hallway and yelled, Dad, she's awake! Oh, bless the moon and did! you've had us all so worried. He walked into the room and set down the tray on a small table to the right of my bed. The tray held two chunks of steaming bread, a dish with several pats of butter, a tankard of small ale, and a bowl of beef stew. (laughs) The young man pulled the chair closer to the bed and sat down. What's your name, then? Where'd you come from? It took all of my self-restraint to not immediately stuff the bread in my mouth, but answers were mutually desired. I snapped my attention away from the food and onto this young fellow. He was rather handsome, I noticed. And that wasn't something I usually noticed. His smile stood out brilliantly against his walnut-brown skin, and there was a kindness to his eyes that instantly put me at ease. I tried to tell him my name, but my throat was too dry. I reached for the tankard of ale, instinctively using my right arm, and I paid for my forgetfulness. I winced, and the young man shifted forward in his seat, eager to help. You're right. I tried to reach for the tankard with my left arm, but crossing it over my chest reminded me about the whole rib situation I had going on, and I winced again, falling back against the bed frame. You want the ale? I nodded gently, and the young man grabbed the tankard and placed it in my left hand. I took a swig. And then another. And then another? Gee, I was thirsty. It being a small ale and all, the drink was more like barley tea than beer, and I ended up draining the whole thing. The young man looked at the empty tankard with surprise. (coughs) Thank you. I needed that. Sure enough. I looked over at the bread and stew again. I needed that, too. What's your name, then? Alley, Aliods, Yours? I wanted that bread. Quinn. Quinn with. It was a nice name, but bread. Where are you from, Aliods, And what brought you here? And in such a state as this? Bread. Stew. Now. I wasn't even looking at Quinn anymore. Just at the food. He saw my focus and shifted the tray so that it sat on my lap. Right. Blimey, you must be starved. Questions can wait. No fun answering on an empty belly. I reached for the bread without thinking, and received another jolt for the effort. "'Ah, oh, you poor thing. Here.' Quinn slid his chair even closer, and grabbed a piece of bread off the tray. He held it out to my left hand, and I shoveled it into my mouth. Oh yum!' It was exactly as good as it smelled, if not better. I normally didn't eat left-handed, but I picked up the wooden spoon beside the bowl, and decided to give it a go. Quinn saw my shaky hand, and made an infinitesimal move towards me in his seat. "'Do you want help with that?' "'No, I, I think I can manage.' Sure, I was injured, but I could at least feed myself. (laughs) Despite what had befallen me, I had some semblance of pride. But after bestowing several new grease stains upon my lovely linen nightgown, I held out the wooden spoon to Quinn, and he proceeded to feed me, bite by bite, like an infant. It was tremendously awkward at first. Here I was, a weak little finch who fell from her nest and broke her wings trying to fly before she was ready. I couldn't remember a time I'd felt so helpless— and I was embarrassed that I needed this stranger to help me with such a basic thing as feeding myself. But there was no judgment in Quinn's expression, no belittlement or scorn in his friendly brown eyes. I suppose everyone needs help from time to time, and there is no harm in accepting it. So, spoon by spoon, Quinn fed me the stew, and I felt warmth and strength returning to my body. What a nice guy. He reminded me of Weston, another handsome young man I associated with bread. Seeing as I had a full mouth and couldn't talk, Quinn gave some context while I ate. I was indeed in Harrowdelph, at the Harrow Hall Inn. His family owned the place, and someday Quinn would take over for his parents. Earlier this morning, a villager who lived on the outskirts of town found me lying face down in the road at sunup. He'd managed to load me onto his cart and brought me to the inn, since Quinn's mother was considered a worthy healer. I'd been unconscious through all of his mother's attentions, including the resetting of my broken arm, which was probably for the best— It was near to sundown now. I'd slept through the entire day. When I'd eaten every speck of food off the tray, Quinn went downstairs to fetch his parents. If I was going to answer questions, I might as well be spared from having to repeat myself. When Quinn returned, carrying a full tankard and a whole flagon of small ale, two other people entered the room with him. One was a broad-chested gentleman with a dark brown face and a short, coily beard. The other was a thin, pale-faced woman, and though both of them appeared middle-aged, the woman had long, flowing silver hair. Ali, these are my parents, Tarver and Kelia. Dad owns the inn, and Mum's the one who's been tending your ales. Quinn looked down at the flagon in his hand and smiled. Well, most of them. He placed the tankard and flagon on the bedside table, and all three of them drew closer to me. Thanks, Quinn. Tarver and Kelia was it? Thank you. Thank you both so much for feeding me and, and healing me. you saved my life. I I don't know how I can possibly thank you. Tarver waved a dismissive hand, as if their intensive care had been the least of troubles, and sat down in the chair beside my bed. The wood gave a heavy groan as he leaned forward and said, "'You could start by telling us what happened. When old Matty brought you in on his cart this morning, the whole village went wild with questions, and we've had none to answer. It looks like you'd fallen off a cliff.' "'Well, it's more like a cliff fell on me.' Quinn, Tarver, and Kelia waited for me to continue. I'd never had a more attentive audience.' but I wasn't sure how much of my story to reveal. Did they need to know about Joe and Graham? Graham Trunnia? Trinia? Probably not Trinia. No, definitely not. So I decided to keep it vague. It's a it's a long story, but ultimately I ran into some trouble in the woods. A rockfall banged me up pretty good. And set you on fire? Well, no, that was... Should I tell them about the magic? What if they thought it was crazy? That was an accident on my part, I said. A foolish oversight. Right. Tarver clearly wasn't satisfied by my superficial answer. And what were you doing in the woods, then? Are you from around, here? Eh? No, I'm from Fribbleshire. I left home a couple turns ago to travel and see the world, I'm seeing more of it than I thought I would. I nodded to my burned and broken arm and gave the three of them a most pitiable smile. But why were you out there? What did you get mixed up in to come out looking so? Dad, don't pester her. She needs her rest. No, no, it's fine. They had all taken care of me so well, but they deserved some explanation for their troubles. For all they knew, they could have taken in a criminal. I owed them the truth. Have you ever heard of Joe and Graham? Oh, yes. Yeah. Of course we have. Oh, well, certainly, yes. Really? Well, did you know that they have a hideout back in the woods towards Beleth? What? Go blimey, do they now? Yeah, and I went there trying to find someone. I mean, something they'd taken from me. Something very important to me. But when I got to their hideout, it was empty. They'd already left, so I thought it was safe to investigate. But scoundrels that they are, they left traps in there for unwitting looky-loos. I should have known better, but... You're lucky you didn't come out worse for it, dearie. Those two have been a plague to the region for decades. Calling to think all this time they've been hiding out in the woods? They haven't. What do you mean? I met someone who used to be a part of the Jolly Robbers. She's reformed now, more or less, and she drew up a map of all their old haunts. There's more than a dozen of them, scattered all over the kingdoms. It's my plan to track them down and make them pay for what they've taken. From me? From everyone. I thought of Groundbauer when I said this, and in my broken, helpless state, I missed him more than ever. I missed him so gosh darn much. Somehow, these sudden emotions made my headache surge— I closed my eyes and took a sharp breath in, and Quinn, Tarver, and Kilia all moved towards the bed to help. The feelings slowly passed, but the pain remained. Right, well, you're welcome to stay here while you recover. I reckon the old village would be willing to help with whatever you ask for a look at that map. Imagine it, boy. Get the old village together and clear out their stores. Rack the place and dare those two fiends to ever come back, eh? Oh, gracious, and leave me to heal all of you when you find more of their traps. When have I ever not been careful? There's the man who burned his thumb on the toast this morning. Why, but think of it, Kay. I could gather the lads if the old village went. Dad, why don't we take this downstairs? Ollie needs her rest. Quinn shot me an apologetic glance, and I was amazed he had recognized my wish without me asking. Right, well, as I said, you're welcome in the Harrow Hole as long as you need, Ali. You've just to call if you need anything. Thank you. I smiled at them as they all turned to leave. Oh, a- actually, there is one thing. Who was the villager who found me and brought me in? I'd like to thank him, too. Why, that'll be old Matty, the village blacksmith. Always happy to help old Matty is. I thought Laurel was the village blacksmith. At the mention of Laurel's name, father, mother, and son all froze. They shared tense glances back and forth for a moment, and then Tarver spoke up. How do you know of Laurel? Oh, uh, a friend recommended her, said she was great with horseshoes. The lie put Tarver and Killia at ease, but Quinn appeared rather distressed where he stood in the doorway. I that she was. Old Matty is her father, but she's gone now, and for good reason. We don't want none of our sort around no more. I wanted to ask him what he meant by that but Quinn pulled on his father's sleeve from the doorway. Dad, she doesn't want to hear about this. Let her rest. Right, well, as I said, if you need anything, you've just to ask. With surprising haste, the family departed the room and left me to myself. I didn't even have time to ask them to light the candles before they went, so I was left in near darkness when they closed the door. Oh well, I should probably keep resting. I was in no condition to go downstairs and chat people up in the dining room. Although... Although I really had to poop. It had been a while, unless I had soiled myself while unconscious. I thought to get out of bed in search of a chamber pot, and painfully, I made the moves to do so. But by the time my feet touched the floor, I was way too dizzy to stand up. You know, this is the kind of stuff they never mention in the old stories. Surely, somewhere between all her battles and beast slayings, Galena the Great had peed and pooped like the rest of us, Right? I mean, it might not make for the most glamorous storytelling, but it would have been nice to know how she managed to take a dump after the Aldrum of Cack broke both her legs. That would be useful information to some of us. Although, Kalina had had friends to help her. Margitza and Rall. I bet they'd carried her off to do her business whenever she needed, and carried her back besides. That's true friendship. Friends who will lift you over the pot and wipe your butt. I wish I had that my own band of adventurous butt-wiping friends. Hmm. I bet Trenia would wipe my butt. I don't know why, but I felt she would. And I knew I'd do the same for her. Well, but she wasn't there in Harrowdale, so it was either sit there and poop myself, or swallow my pride and call for help. Excuse- mm-hmm. <sighs> Excuse- <sighs> Come on. Excuse me? <clears throat> okay. Excuse- Excuse me! (sighs) Excuse me. Can I get some help? After Kelia helped me to the pot, I went straight back to bed. I tried reading some Galena the Great. Maybe there was a story where she pooped, and I just hadn't gotten to it yet. But the words on the page made it feel like cats were trying to claw their way through my skull. So I closed the book and tried to sleep. It was still early, but I fell asleep almost immediately. I woke once when I accidentally rolled onto my broken arm and once when I coughed, which sent a blast of pain through my broken ribs. But overall, I fell into a deep, long, dreamless sleep, and didn't wake until Quinn came into my room the next morning with another tray of food. Sunlight flooded onto my bed through the window, making the white comforter glow with a stunning radiance. My arms still ached from the break and twinged from the burn. There was still a dull thrum in the back of my head, but the general fatigue of my follies had abated, and I was able to sit up without help, and without my head feeling like a stone beneath a waterfall. Quinn set the tray of food down on my lap—eggs, sausage, bacon, tomato, herbal tea, and two slices of buttered toast. (laughs) But he didn't stay long to chat. No, Quinn looked tired and somber. He said he needed to help with morning chores, and that he'd come back to check on me in a bit. I didn't press him, but his sudden shift in attitude made me all the more curious about why he'd dwindled when I mentioned Laurel the night before. I devoured my breakfast most handily and with far fewer spills than my previous meal. And then I sat there, and I waited patiently for Quinn to return. I hoped he could walk me around town so I could see where I was, and get my legs working again. If I was to stick to the schedule I'd given Trenia, I needed to head back to Beleth the next morning, and I wanted to make sure I could manage it on my own. But none of the footsteps in the hallway stopped before my door. I thought about getting up and heading out on my own, but I wouldn't be able to put on my clothes without help, and figured it wouldn't do for me to go wandering around Harrowdelph in a food-stained nightgown. So I fell into something I hadn't experienced much since leaving home. Boredom. I tried out thumb-twiddling for the first time. Turns out it's very silly, and quite pleasant, a good way to pass the time. But eventually that also got boring, so I tried to read Morgalina the Great, but that set my head spinning again, so I conceded to lying comfortably in my bed and sorting out my next steps. I needed to look at Hatha's map and figure out the most likely place Joe and Graham would be heading next. The chances seemed small that that dastardly couple had stolen another singular goat, so I was quite convinced that Graham Barrow was still with them, and that I was catching up. I also needed to ask around about Laurel. Clearly something big had happened in Harrowdelf, and I hoped to have a substantive report for Trenia. It also looked like I was due for a new set of clothes, so I threw that into my plans for the day as well. Somewhere in all that planning, I fell asleep again, and I was woken a while later by a knock on the door. Kilia poked her head into the room. Good morning, Allie. Time to change out your dressings, dear. Kilia came into the room with a tray. "Are You feeling better today? Much better, yes. Kilia pulled the chair up to my bed and set her tray down on the bedside table. The tray held fresh bandages, a wooden bowl with clean water, and a little clay pot with goopy paste in it. With a professional sense of caution, Kilia unwrapped the bandage from around my arm. My whole forearm was pink and blistery, and there was a purple-brown bruise above my wrist. Kealia gossiped merrily as she bathed my arm in cool water, mostly about how everyone in town wanted to get a peek at the adventurer upstairs. I swear, I've never seen half these folks half this curious about anything in their entire lives. You're the talk of the town, dearie. Really? Folks can't believe you're trying to hunt down the jolly robbers. They want to get a look at you. See who's daring what no man with a hair on his chest ever dreamed of. Well, well, well. I'd never been the talk of a town before. At least not for a flattering reason. And here I was, a brave adventurer. The brave adventurer. I must admit, it rather puffed my chest. <laughs> oh. Once my arm was dry, Killia brought forth a little clay pot and spooned a dollop of the goop onto my arm. Immediately I felt the same tingle-cool sensation I'd felt before, and I had to ask, What's in the salve? Pantheary root is the real name, but round here it's known as icegrass. Cools even the most angry fevers, and is a blessing to burns besides. Ha! I knew it! Where did you get it? We'd trade with the elves now and then. Really? Yes. Useful stuff they have. Worth honouring the treaties, at least. Hmm. Maybe Trinia was the one who sold her the herbs. Which reminded me, as Kilia spread the soothing salve across my arm, I took the chance to start my secret investigations. Since Laurel seemed to be a tender topic, I made sure to speak with tender words. Kelia? Yes, dear? Last night, when I mentioned the blacksmith's daughter, I couldn't help but notice you and your family seemed upset. Kelia paused in her work and looked up at me. Would you mind if I asked why? Kelia readjusted herself in her chair, clearly uncomfortable, and scooped more salve under her spreading stick. For a moment, I thought she was going to pretend she didn't hear the question. But then she took a deep breath and looked me square in the eye. Laurel and Quinn were supposed to be married. Oh! Well, that wasn't what I expected. Did Trinia know this? Of, of course, she must have. They courted for years, ever since they was young. Always had a liking for each other, they did. Giving gifts and going on long walks as young lovers do. Dancing at the festivals. She was here at the inn when she wasn't at her forging work. i practically adopted her already. Killia's eyes drifted into memories past. as She slathered more ointment on my burns. What happened? Killia paused for a moment, unsure how to explain. You're a good-looking girl. Huh? My cheeks flushed at her compliment. And you saw my son, yes? Uh, yes? And he's not bad on the eyes now, is he? My cheeks flushed still further, and I did my best to answer neutrally. He's quite handsome, yes. And he's got a heart to match, no? A very handsome heart. Well, you'd be daft in the head to turn down a proposal from him, eh? Well, she did it three times. My poor Quinn. Couldn't have been better to her. I knowed she she treat him? Worse than a dog. Holds his gentle heart for all that time, and then... You wouldn't believe it. Turns out she's been seeing someone else, all romantic-like, secretly, behind his back. What? I said, trying my best to sound surprised. And, as if that wasn't bad enough, it was with a... with... 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 Kilia had practically worked herself into a froth and could barely spit out the next word. A woman! Unnatural, it is. Perverse. Profane. Out of the question. "'Right, of course. Very unnatural,' I lied. "'I remembered being a young girl when Farmer Giles and Farmer Miles "'moved in together down the road from us in Fribble shirt. "'It wasn't common for two gents or two ladies to be partners, "'and there were certainly a few folks in town who raised eyebrows and made comments, "'but ultimately, no one had really cared. "'Them being together didn't harm anybody, "'and they took care of each other as well as any couple. "'Better than most, in fact. "'They were an accepted and cherished part of our community.' But Mum made it clear relationships like theirs weren't acceptable everywhere in the kingdom. And apparently, Herodelf was one such place. Kilia finished rewrapping the bandage around my arm, and began to change the cloth around my head. I ventured another question, doing my best to continue the facade of an ignorant, curious patient. So, where did Laurel go, then? After things were revealed. I don't know. Not my problem. All I know is she's gone and good riddance to her. Quinn, dodged the arrow there if you follow me. Ah, now there you are. Helia finished tying my headcloth and sat back in her chair with a sigh. The effort had tired her. From the conversation, I mean. Painful memories weigh more than stones, and she dredged up a lot of them. Thank you, I said. I appreciate you telling me what you did. I'm sorry for what your family has gone through. She smiled a sincere, weary smile. Honestly... It's refreshing to talk with someone who doesn't know about all the mud stared up at the bottom of the well. I hope it settles soon. And I meant it. Even though I disagreed with her about the unnaturalness of Laurel's desires, I understood her admonishments. Quinn and his family had felt deceived and led on. That sucks, no matter what. But Kilia had reinforced why Laurel and Trenia kept their relationship secret in the first place. Just as Trenia's family wouldn't approve of her being with a human— Laurel's family wouldn't approve of her being with a woman. What choice did they have besides to keep it hidden? Gotta say, their situation made a compelling argument for being single. Killia rose from her chair and gathered the soiled bandages onto her tray. Well then, you needn't anything else? Yes, actually. Um, I could use help getting around the village. I need to buy new clothes, and I'd like to see how far I can walk. Oh, I don't know if you should be up and about so soon. In theory, my legs are fine. I'm supposed to meet someone tomorrow, and I'd like to see if that's still going to be possible. You're leaving her so soon? Afraid so. I've got a few things to attend to. Oh, but you're such a nice girl. Are you sure you wouldn't rather stay about the inn for a while? Help Quinn with the chores, eh? I blushed again. No, I'm afraid not. Though I appreciate the offer. My friend will be worried if I don't turn up tomorrow. My, my. An adventurer's life indeed. Well, let's get you into some fresh clothes. I won't have my son walking with a gal in not-but-her-nighties." Even though I didn't know a single person in Harrowdelf, I was mighty uncomfortable walking around in the spare dress Killia found for me. Not because it hurt my arm or anything—no, my arm was braced tightly in a sling—but because the dress was a frilly, lacy, blue, fluffy thing that Kilia swore would look smashing on me, but really looked like I'd fallen into a lake full of doilies. Not my style. "'so I asked Quinn to lead me to the tailor's shop at once. "'Naturally, it was on the opposite side of town from the Harrow Hall Inn, "'so we were forced to take a long, embarrassing walk through the village. "'Harrow Delth was like an upscale version of Fribbleshire. "'The houses and shops were thatched cottages of wooden stone like they were at home, "'but here they were bigger. "'There were more of them, and they were finer, "'detailed with elaborate carvings and decorative grace "'that no one in Fribbleshire could afford. "'The fields looked hardy and fair,' and had already been tilled for planting. The cattle were strong and well-fed, wood piles were stacked high with seasoned wood, and the scent of frying meat was thick in the afternoon air. Though my legs felt strong and sturdy, I kept my arm in quins as we walked, in case I became suddenly woozy. As we passed, many a person stopped their sweeping or their selling and stared at us with an expression of wonder I had never received. "'Is that the traveller girl?' "'Aye, it must be. Look at the bandages!' "'She's been staying with my old foot, hasn't she? "'And now their boy be striding through town "'with a strange girl on his arm.' "'Fancy that.' "'Oh, and look at her leaning on him, oh!' "'And that dress!' "'Good gracious, I must have blushed more "'in that one walk than I'd ever blushed in my entire life. "'I suppose Quinn had grown used to stares and gossip "'after what happened with Laurel, "'but even he looked a little sheepish "'as people shot knowing smiles his way. "'Gosh, no matter where you go.' It seems to be the business of every villager to know the business of every villager, even when that business is plain wrong. I was grateful when we finally got to the tailor. After a bit of browsing, I picked out a pair of brown pants, a white shirt, a green vest, and a blue woolen jacket. The tailor helped me change into my new outfit behind a curtain, while Quinn sat patiently by the counter. The pants were a little large, but overall the garments fit me quite well, and were finer quality than anything I'd ever owned. I happily handed over the gold crown Jenny had given me, and the tailor handed back eight silver pieces and a silver stib and change. Quinn's eyes went wide when he saw how much coin was clinking in my palm, and for a brief moment he became a mirror. The way he stared at me showed me how I looked. In my new clothes, with my heavy purse and my sparkling bandages, I was a bold, wealthy woman of the world. A woman who knew things, a woman who could handle herself in a scrap, who had dared what others dared not. And maybe it was just my own fancy kicking in. But I didn't look too ugly in the reflection of his eyes either. No, no. He smiled. Not too ugly at all. I used this new swagger to my advantage. If Quinn was curious to learn more about me, I could use it as an excuse to learn more about him. Namely, more about what happened with Laurel. We strolled out of town side by side, winding along the main road as I tested out my walking abilities. I let go of his arm and felt pretty good overall. My ribs provided a consistent ache with every step, but there was nothing excruciating. Now, most people like to talk about other people, or places they've been, or things they've done. Quinn was the first person I met who had immediately leapt into talk of ideas. He was deep, far more thoughtful than I'd expected from an innkeeper's son. I wondered if he could be the thinky person in my squad, or maybe the talky one. I hadn't met anyone yet who could be that. But no, if Trenia was still in the picture, that for sure left Quinn out of it. At one point, he asked a question about my travels. But instead of veering towards where I'd been and who I'd met like most people did, he asked, What did you hope to learn by leaving home?" Huh. I've never thought about that. Never? Not in those terms. I mean, I wanted to find a group of adventurers and learn how to be a hero, I guess. And, well, hmm. I thought about what Bertram had said the day I decided to leave Ribbleshire about my soul wedgie, and why I needed to leave home. A friend of mine once told me that deep within us all, there's a little spark of magic, from which all our power comes, that it's an invisible thing, but when you know it, you know yourself. I guess maybe that's what I want to learn, what that means, where that spark is in my own heart. Quinn smiled. That's a lovely thought, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, I, I imagined a little shiny ball of light tucked somewhere deep inside my chest. Maybe someday I'll learn how to spark it. I think you already have. Really? Why do you say that? It's in your eyes. There's a light in them you don't see in most folk. I stayed quiet and waited for him to go on. I've been serving people my whole life at the inn. I've had hundreds of stories from hundreds of people at the bar when I've been trapped behind the counter. And I've noticed there's a curtain drawn behind most people's eyes. Sometimes the curtain opens after a few drinks, and you hear something true from the heart that just busts your gut. But more often than not, you see why they put it there to begin with. The curtain's a way for people to protect themselves, to keep their dark parts from getting out. It helps them feel safe, to feel private. But it also means that no light can come in, nor can their own light get out. Quinn paused in his tracks and looked deep into my eyes. No. You've drawn back the curtain. I can see your light. Well, my cheeks sure bought a one way ticket to Blush City. How on earth had Laurel said no to this guy? Oh, right. Trunnia. <laughs> Duh. But gosh. <laughs> th- 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 thank you. I stammered. That's really lovely. Wow. When I'd composed myself enough, I stared back into his eyes. So brown they were. So handsome but there was something missing. Something I'd seen with Trenia and Bertram and Leif and other people I'd shared intense staring sessions with. The spark. I furrowed my eyebrows. I can't see yours. Quinn broke the eye contact then and kept walking. I'm sorry, I, I didn't mean to offend you. Maybe I just don't know how to see it yet. No. You're right. I walked beside him in silence for a moment, sensing he was mulling over the very thing I wanted him to talk about. So delicately, I brought it up for him. Quinn, your mom told me what happened to Laurel. Did she? Blast it, Mom! No, no. I asked. Everyone seemed upset when I mentioned her last night, and I asked for an explanation. I'm sorry if it caused you pain. Your curtains. Is she the reason they're drawn? Quinn and I reached a cobblestone bridge that spanned a small river. We'd walked at least a mile, and I was starting to feel it in my ribs and head. We stopped to lean over the stone railing and stare at the running water. After a moment, Gwen replied, Aye, she is. Mum told you about the other person then? That Laurel had been seeing a woman? Yes. Aye, but not just a woman. What do you mean? Were there more? No, just the one. But the one was an elf. What? He knew it was cool It all happened right before my own bloody eyes, and I didn't see it. Suddenly, Quinn snapped his gaze to me. His face had an urgent expression. His brows were knit with fear. Why am I telling you this? I've never spoken of it before. I thought the whole village knew. Not about the elf. Really? I've never told a soul. Now I'm telling a complete stranger. He shook his head in disbelief and stared out over the river. I guess sometimes it's easier to talk to a stranger. You can tell them whatever you want and know you'll never have to see them again. I put a hand on his shoulder. "'I'm here to listen, Quinn. To listen only. Not repeat.' I gave him an encouraging smile. I was eager to see what was behind his curtains, eager for him to release what he'd been holding back. Not just for Trania's sake, but because I found myself caring quite earnestly for this young man's well-being though we'd barely met. Quinn leaned over the stone railing again and took a moment to find his starting place. (sighs) "'Laurel was my best friend. Since birth, almost.' We spent so much time together. Everything in this world had a piece of her in it. I loved her since I was a boy. Knew her better than anyone. Or thought I did. I never even suspected. But looking back on it all now, it's not so surprising. She never wanted to... You know. Never wanted to what? Quinn made a suggestive move with his hands, as if they were wrapping around invisible hips. You know. Oh! kiss. Right. And other things. Oh! Oh, other things. Oh, of course. (laughs) You mean sex. Yep, I knew that. For sure. That thing you do with your boo. Right. Good. Cool. Oh my gosh! What the heck was wrong with me? Why was I so uncomfortable talking about... sex? Quinn continued, despite my oddities. And the mad thing is, I loved it so much I was willing to look past that. So what? We wouldn't have the same sort of intimacy other couples had, but we'd still have each other. But then she grew away from me even more. I didn't even notice it at first, but now, looking back of course, it's all plain as day. There was an elf woman turned up to sell herbs at the harvest Festival two falls back. Normally it was an older elf. In Arvin, I think she was called. She'd been coming since before I was born. But this time, the tree folk sent a younger lass. I didn't take much note of her, besides that she was an elf, but I do remember the way she looked at Laurel as she danced the rose. Like Laurel was worth more than gold." Whoa. It was so weird to hear him talking about Trenia. It was like reading her journal, seeing secret things that she wouldn't necessarily have told me herself. I had to work extra hard to keep my composure neutral and attentive, as Quinn told on. Now, elves in general are a queer folk. They have a sordid view of the world, so I thought nothing of the point ear eyeing the gals of Harold, Elf, as long as she didn't act on it. But I do mark, that's when something changed in Laurel. Like the curtains we were talking about. It's like she'd only been living with half her light till then. Something had drawn the curtains back and let it all out. Of course, I thought the change was on account of myself at the time, and I was more smitten than ever. I proposed to her not long after that, sure beyond sure. We would spend the rest of our lives together in our <sighs> And she said no. No, she said not yet. It's not uncommon for a lass to leave a lad dangling for sport. Part of the fun in some ways. And, and not yet made it sound like a yes was on the way. I could be patient. So things carried on as normal, more or less. No, Laurel visits as much as ever. Still talks as sweet as ever. Still lets me hold her in my arms. And still a few kisses besides. A year passes, and the same elf woman comes to sell herbs again. I see the same golden look in her eyes when she watches Laurel dance that night. But this time, I see the same look in Laurel's. Of course I found it queer. But Laurel was with me the whole night. Not that elf. She even stayed over with me at the inn that night and... And... It was Quinn's turn to blush now. He gave a coy smile. Let's just say she gave me no reason to think she'd been running off with a woman. Looking at it now, I don't doubt it was just to throw me off the trail. But I don't know. I still can't wrap my head around it. I can't speak to this from personal experience, but did you consider that she just might have been confused? I mean, it it sounds like she did love you, even if it wasn't in the way you wanted, but maybe she wanted to, you know, get some clarity on her preferences. Quinn shrugged. Perhaps. And, I mean, if she knew that the whole village would scorn her for being with another woman, I bet there were days when she herself didn't want to be. Gosh, I I can't imagine how difficult that must have been for her. It sounds like you're taking her side. Quinn's expression grew stern, and I feared that I might lose his trust if I didn't say the right thing. I'm not on her side, Quinn. But I'm not really on yours, either. It's not my place to judge. Both of you have gone through the ringer here. I am truly sorry for the hurt she's caused you, but I'm sorry for the hurt she's had too. Quinn didn't applaud my response, but he seemed to accept it. So, what happened after you two... You knowed. Well, like a damn fool, I proposed to her again. I thought you knowing meant she was finally ready to be with me. But this time, when I asked, she said she needed to think about it. After all that time, how could she still have something to think about? That's when I began to suspect. She spent less and less time at Harrow Hall. I was lucky to get in a hug anymore, and a kiss without the question. And the curtains. The curtains were drawn darker than I'd ever seen them. So, the third time this elf shows up, after watching the gold pass between their eyes again, Laurel lit up like I'd never seen before. I confronted her. I asked her what was going on between her and that elf. How come she never looked at me like that? How come my mom and dad were asking after her? It'd been so long since she'd come to the inn. She said there was nothing. Nothing between her and the elf. But I knew her well enough to know when she's lying. I remember dropping to one knee and telling her I was willing to forgive it if there had been something. I didn't need to know what she'd done. Just that so there wouldn't be any more of it. We'd get married, and no one in the village would ever have to know. Wait, you proposed to her again? Aye. And this time, she said no. I asked why, and she said she loved me enough to not let me spend the rest of my life with her. That made me angry, furious. We were in her shop at the time, with all sorts of things dangling from the walls. I was so cross, I threw one of her swords in the forge, ruined it out of spite. I shouted at her, yelled, screamed, if, if it was because of this elf, if that damned elf is why she wouldn't marry me because of a bloody cursed outsider woman. She said nothing, wouldn't admit it, wouldn't deny it. Just stood there with her head down as I screamed at her. Her father, old Matty, heard the noise and came rushing in, thought someone was dying for all the panic, and demanded an explanation. I told him... Quinn paused, as if unable to get out the words on his tongue. I told him, Your daughter is a whore, sleeping with women. Sleeping with worse, but I'd have none of it, and I stormed out. <sighs> wasn't long before people stopped buying what Laurel made. People spat at her, jeered at her, called her queer, disturbed, unnatural, and I did nothing to stop it. I wanted her to suffer. She'd lied to me, betrayed me, betrayed everything we'd ever been. Wasn't long before the town held a public trial. She admitted to being with a woman and was flogged for it, right in the street, tied to a post, blood dripping down in the stones. Would have been worse if they'd known she was with an elf. Would have been whipped to the bone, cast out completely. Oh my gosh, poor Laurel. Trenny had never told me about this. Did she even know? Quinn's eyes drifted off into memory and began to water. I know she deserved it, but still... "'I blame myself for every drop of blood that fell that day.' "'Deserved it? Whoa, hold up, buddy. "'But before I had time for rebuttal,' "'Quinn rubbed away his tears and continued matter-of-factly. "'Not long after that she left town. "'Found a smithing job up north. "'Didn't say goodbye to anyone. "'Though I suppose no one would have said goodbye to her. "'Sweet apple cider! This was it! "'This was the information I needed to get Trenia to come with me! "'Where up north?' Haven Town. Haven Town? The Haven Town? Aye. There's just the one. When? When did she leave? Just past midwinter. Why? Oh, <laughs> play it cool, Ellie. Play it cool. I, I just wanted to make sure I had the timeline straight. She's been gone for, what, four turns now? Aye. About that. Oh my gosh! Wait until Trinia heard this. I knew where Laurel was. <laughs> But woe to herself! Keep it together. As exciting as this story was for me, it was horribly difficult for Quinn. His eyes were still damp with emotion, and his whole body was trembling where he leaned against the stony wall, as if he was trying to compress the story back into a form his heart could contain. I didn't know what to say. I wholly disagreed with his perspectives about love, and I had bit my tongue so many times there was a groove on it for my teeth. In some ways, I straight-up disliked the dude, handsome though he was. But despite all that, he was a wounded person. He wasn't the only wounded person in this story, no, no. Heck, in, in some ways, he was the villain. But everyone in this tale had a mix of light and shadow, and even villains deserve a chance to heal. I put my hand on Quinn's shoulder, and he relaxed at the touch. <laughs> thanks for listening. It Feels good to tell someone to unload it after all this time. You're welcome. I traced circles on his back with my hand as his trembling grew into silent, shaking sobs. His story wasn't ready to be put away. It hadn't finished coming out yet. As much as stories must be told, they must also be felt. Gwyn's tears fell into the river, where they were carried away and out of sight. <sighs> the crazy thing is, after all she did, I miss her still. I miss her. He put his face in his hands and wept. Oh, he wept and wept and wept. I stepped closer to him and embraced him with my good arm as the western sky grew golden, as sparrows dove for midges above the flowing river, as my injured arm twinged with his racking breaths. As we stood together on the stony bridge, two broken things. Thanks for listening to Ali Odds and the Allie Odd Squad. I'm Leona Cara, and today I'd like to thank my friend Jessie Radovich, another wondrous woman I am lucky enough to sing beside at Wild Choir. Her moon song was the perfect tune to bring Allie out of the darkness, and I invite you to check out the incredible music Jessie makes with her group Earth Practice. Visit patreon.com forward slash earthpractice for more of her sweet song medicine. I must also thank my dear friend Liz, whose gigantic heart, delightful humor, and honest feedback have turned the tide on many a scene in Allie Odds. I will strive to always be there to wipe your butt. Well, I hope you have a magical day, friend, and I'll see you around the fire for chapter 12, The Fire Within.